Welcome to Where's the News? Nick here welcoming you to a very special edition of the show. A little bit different than normal, long-time listeners, if those exist for this show. Uh, you're going to notice things aren't exactly the way they usually are. Normally, for you new viewers, we break down something big in the arts and entertainment world. This is like movies, music, TV shows, uh, popular culture references. Talk about that for a little bit. Then we talk about local sports. Local for us would be Pittsburgh for a little bit. And then we talk about local and sometimes national news stories as well. And those are usually, but not always, okay, let's be honest, never always, broken up into equal increments of time. <laughs> um, but that's not the goal. Anyway, joining me today are John Blaine and Garrett Roberts, my two co-hosts, who uh, I'm usually their co-host, and one of them starts the so, uh, show. So this is a very special moment for all, uh, for me at least. I don't know for you guys, like watching your son. No, it's a special Even moment Even though I'm older me. than John, like, is it like a watching your son step up into the big role? Yeah, kind of I mean— feeling? It's it's kind of like watching uh like like an older family member like get promoted at a new job you know what I mean like oh, I'm still it, proud of them even though I'm younger. It's like at Thanksgiving when the meal is on the table and everyone's ready to eat and the dad goes, "Son, it's time for you to say grace." And then you know you step up to the plate. Yeah, like your big brother gets to say grace for the first gotta, time or anything. Gotta like hit that. a home run. Yeah, you know it just you doesn't get matter. You to cut the turkey the for the first time. That's yeah, Garrett, by the I, way. I, I, that, that is Garrett. I've never had that opportunity. Yeah, it's my dad does I, it every never, year for Thanksgiving. I never got the first cut in. Yeah, I never got the first cut in. He, but I was allowed to cut it this year. Finally, he always burns 22. his fingers. He, he's notorious for burning his fingers on the turkey. Wow. Anyway, we wanted to introduce you guys to sort of what goes on in the show and ourselves because if you hey. thought that banter was <laughs> lame, you should listen to what happens after our interview with the one and only Northwest Pennsylvania's probably favorite lawyer, absolutely Edgar Snyder, joining the show today. Uh, talking about his career very funny guy very fun guy uh, enjoyed chatting with him and uh, you know it, deservingly so he kind of made fun of us because we had some soundboard problems and we're supposed to be the demographic of people who knows how to run soundboards and things like that so uh, he he made some good jokes at our expense but a fun guy uh, enjoying life down in florida now yeah and that's the energy we want on the show and you know what he really brought the energy to mat match the vibes going on here he and did it was it was a pleasure to have great. him uh, Great answers, too. Absolutely. Smarter, smarter than us because he's down in Florida while it's cold And he's here. a lawyer, and we're all communications majors. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think we've lucked out in the sense of everyone we've interviewed has given some really good answers, and it hasn't been like us prying stuff out of them. You Absolutely. Know? I haven't had a, I haven't not had fun during an interview on this show. They've all been great. And now everyone that is saying, please shut up and get to Edgar Snyder, we're going to do just that. Here is our interview and discussion with the one and only Edgar Snyder. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of Where's the News? Nick here, joined by John and Garrett, as always. It's two episodes in a row now I've taken the lead on, which is just scary to think about. But with us right now, uh, you've probably grown up uh, listening to his commercials, knowing him for the point and his signature catchphrase, there's never a fee unless we get money for you, as he points on me, but you can't see it, but he just pointed at me. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Edgar Snyder is joining us today. Edgar, thank you very much for taking the time to chat with us. Thank you so much for uh, for having me. It makes me know that I'm still relevant. <laughs> I don't think there will be any questions if you're relevant or not, as long as we keep seeing those commercials and billboards. But uh, <laughs> anyway, we'll start off with just a very basic question of what does a personal injury lawyer do and what do cases typically look like for you? A personal injury lawyer is a lawyer who's handling cases primarily of people who are in accidents. And when you get into an accident, 
uh, always uh, you're dealing, uh, if you're dealing with an insurance company, uh, we're taking the side of the plaintiff that's called the person that's injured, and the defendant is generally the insurance company. And the, most of the time, what we're involved in is either negotiating or helping the person who's injured try to negotiate a settlement. It's very, very difficult for a person who's injured in an accident to try and deal with an insurance company themselves. So uh, our role as personal injury lawyers, whether it be an automobile accident, whether it be a slip and fall, whether it be a defective product, whether it be medical malpractice, I mean, if you, you, you name it, any way that somebody could get injured, uh, there's, uh, you know, it's the old joke, yeah, you, you find a case and we'll find a lawyer. I mean, there's always, anything that happens, uh, somebody needs a lawyer. That's, that's why we have job security. But in all seriousness, that's, that's primarily what, what's involved in terms of uh, the kind of work that we do. Edgar, I sort of want to go back quite a few years. Uh, we were doing some reading yesterday and we read that you were the captain of the school's debate team for Penn State. I was the captain of the Penn State, uh, in fact, uh, uh, really, that's how that's how my uh, when I say my whole career started, that's where I decided that uh, I was going to uh, become a lawyer and uh, that this might be my calling. Uh, originally, when I was going to college, I had a brother in medical school and uh, I my father gave me two choices. Uh, he was an immigrant and the immigrant experience is my sons going to my sons are either going to be doctors or lawyers. And I went to Penn State. Uh, I got either a C or a D in chemistry, and that my career was now defined. I was going to either be a lawyer or nothing. So uh, that's that's really how it all how it all started. But uh, at Penn State, uh, it's very funny because I was I happened to be telling this story the other day to somebody that was uh, that was interested. Uh, and when I went to Penn State University, way way back when I did. Uh, if you were on the college debate team, if you went out for debate, whether you debated, whether you're any good or not, it was a credit in the school. That's why I went out for debate. Uh, I never had really had any desire to be a debater, but somebody had said to me, oh, yeah, you can get a good grade in debate. So I went out for the debate team. And uh, at the time, uh, it was only the probably the only A I was ever going to get in college was uh, if I was any good at debating. So uh, I, I started out, that's how I started out debating. And, and then uh, after two years, um, uh, the, the person who was going to be the captain of the Penn State debate team at that time, uh, he uh, dropped out of school. And uh, whether it was there was nobody else available or not, I don't remember. Uh, but I was asked what I consider being the captain of the team. And uh, I said yes. And so over the last two years of my uh, experience at Penn State, uh, I was uh, the uh, captain of the debate team. <laughs> uh, your name and face is known all across Pittsburgh. Everyone knows Edgar Snyder. Right. But obviously, you kind of had to build that up. And one of the ways that, as we were researching, you went around in the 80s in an Edgar Snyder van. Can you yes. talk a little bit about that experience? Yeah. When we started, uh, when we started advertising, uh, really started back in the newspapers in 1982 or 83. You have to understand, which if you read some of the articles, you probably do. Uh, lawyers couldn't advertise until uh, I think it was 1979. Uh, there was a United States Supreme Court decision that gave lawyers the right to advertise. Before that, if you would put an ad in anything, you could be disbarred as a lawyer. You were not allowed. So the Supreme Court said in 1979, uh, you lawyers are able to advertise at that particular period of time. So once we started advertising, um, my ex-wife, uh, she really was a, a, an incredibly good marketeer. 
uh, at that time. And uh, we decided at that time that the best thing to do is uh, not just to ask people to come to our offices. We had an expression which was, uh, we'll come to you. Uh, I bought a van uh, and said that we are going to use this van uh, to make home visits. And our motto was, this was the poor man's answer to the company jet. All right. So we went out because we, our television has taken us all over Western Pennsylvania. We also have offices in Altoona, Johnstown, Erie, uh, Evansburg, things like that. So we, we made, we traveled all over in these um, vans and we actually had a desk set up in there because you have to understand when you're going out in rural areas in Pennsylvania, uh, a lot of people don't feel comfortable in having you come into their home. Uh, whether it's they're embarrassed for their home or whatever it is, uh, they don't feel comfortable. And we said, well, we'll, we'll get rid of that. Uh, we'll have a, set up a desk. And the people came in the van and they just absolutely loved it. In fact, I think that the van was one of the great things we did early on because everybody said, if I get enough money from my case, am I going to have enough money to buy a van like this? And we said, well, we'll try. What's the fate of the Edgar Snyder van? Where, where is it now? Probably in a junkyard junk because I don't think anybody's using those uh, Econo vans that were very popular that uh, would be about 25, 30 years ago. So uh, uh, there's no van. Uh, we, it's actually just a van. We didn't really put a name on it. I thought of putting Edgar Snyder uh, Law Van on there, but I think that at the time we, uh, we were worried that uh, uh, professionally that uh, we might get a lot of grief. <laughs> so with that in mind, you mentioned covering uh, Erie, Altoona, that sort of region, as well as Pittsburgh. Uh, yep. What made you want to set up shop here and kind of represent the people of this area of Pennsylvania? Well, I was born and raised in, uh, I, I, I wasn't born, I was born in Connorsville, Fayette County, and uh, moved when I was uh, six or seven years old to uh, Pittsburgh. And I grew up and went to uh, uh, Taylor Alderdice High School, City High School in Pittsburgh. And I'm a Pittsburgh boy. So that when I uh, graduated Penn State, I came back, I went to Pitt Law School, and uh, I set up shop uh, to be a lawyer here in the Pittsburgh area. And uh, ultimately, when uh, we decided to go into advertising, this was a natural. What was not natural was to go into all of the areas like um, Blair County, Cambria County, Erie County, all of, the, all of the various counties in Western Pennsylvania. So uh, that basically, but Pittsburgh was my home. I wanted to ask, you talked about the advertising, how you really made yep. a place here in Pittsburgh just through advertising. And one of the images that we often see in Pittsburgh is you working with athletes. And I was wondering if you could elaborate on your relationship with the Pittsburgh sports here, obviously with them being a huge part of Pittsburgh as well. Yeah, we decided uh, that one of the ways uh, at that period of time, uh, when we got involved with athletes, we were we were doing stuff uh, for charities. We felt that it was very important to give back to community. We were uh, uh, out in the community. We have always done in the law firm a great deal of charitable work. And one of the ideas that uh, someone came up with uh, in the law firm at that particular time was, uh, let's align ourselves with athletes. Uh, there were a lot of different uh, celebrities and a lot of different people who had aligned themselves, whether it was with the Steelers, the Pirates, the Pens. We felt that just having uh, an alignment with a team and doing something charitably, we would be much better off at that time uh, doing something if we could align ourselves with athletes. Because in Pittsburgh, as you know, and we all know, uh, Pittsburgh is a fanatical sports town. And uh, 
by doing work, we, we went to people uh, at the time, he doesn't play for the Pirates anymore, but we went to Josh Harrison, who played at that time for the Pirates and later Josh Bell. Seems that every time you uh, align ourselves with us, you get traded. So uh, I'm not <laughs> sure how, at least on the baseball end of it. But we started in anyway with athletes and we determined one, it was good visibility for us. They all, um, I think athletes have a real need today to do something to give back to community themselves. And uh, whether it's Cam Hayward, captain of the Steelers, who has the Hayward house, or all of these other uh, athletes that, that, that did work with the food bank, so that we set it up so that we weren't, at, they weren't saying Edgar Snyder's law firm is something special, because how would they know it would be just a celebrity endorsement. But by both of us working together, that was kind of what we have tried to do. And it's very, very good visibility because of the fact that Pittsburgh is really such a, uh, a tremendous sports town and sports figures are so important. And you mentioned working with Cam Hayward and char uh, charity aspect. Um, yes. What's the relationship been like with him and building a charity case in terms of- Well, you know, well that, I mean, he has, a, he has a Hayward house. This has nothing to do with us. He already had this foundation. We just aligned ourselves with him. He was looking for more recognition. What happens with athletes, if, if they're doing work for any charitable cause, what they don't have is exposure. We have a platform. We're advertising on television all over Western Pennsylvania. So what we can give to them, aside from any money, which there may be money that goes back and forth because they are entitled to get paid as celebrities, but more important for them is the recognition for the charity that they work with. So that what you see is, to use an example of a Hayward house, you'll always see that everything we're doing is aligned with the work that that athlete is doing with their charity at that particular period of time. And, and that's kind of how the whole thing works. It gives, it's an exposure for them. They would never be going on billboards and they would never be going on television because they have a very limited budget. And um, I know a commercial that jumps to my mind immediately is you and Chris Letang playing the uh, little uh, table hockey with your helmets and pads on. Um, but for you, what was the most fun commercial that you got to film with? The, yeah, the, no, that, yeah I, I did another commercial with Chris Letang. We weren't playing a game. We were actually out uh, at the rink in Cranberry and uh, in the lobby. I mean, I wasn't on ice. That's all I need is to stand on ice and have them fire a puck. I wouldn't be here right now. I'd probably, uh, you know, be deceased. But, uh, but we, we, we took, um, we formed a rink. They had little, they had nets set up. And we were just in our shoes, but he gave me a hockey stick, showed me how to hold it because of course, uh, you know, I didn't want to look too goofy. And, uh, and we played a game of one-on-one -on -one, and it was with a ball. So I wasn't worried about, I wasn't worried about getting hit, but I can assure you at the time when we filmed that commercial, he had the ability to fling that thing at me at the net. And he, he scared me <laughs> it, just with a rubber ball that wasn't even hard. It was like a, a, a soft little ball. I mean, I, I think the thing was coming in at 60 miles an hour. And uh, that was just, I, I enjoyed that. Uh, it, it was one of the highlights of my commercial days is filming that. And then, of course, uh, the Penguins and everybody watched that part of the commercial. And they, uh, I, I, I got a lot of, I had a lot of fun with it. And I think the commercial did a lot of good because uh, Chris is a, a really great guy. Uh, you mentioned how you had that one-on-one -on -one with Chris the Pang. So I have to ask. Uh, was there ever a period, you know, former Penguin players or current Penguin players, where you think you could beat them in that one-on-one? -on -one? Is there anyone you think you could beat on the ice? You. 
Wow. <laughs> wow. Beside you, 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 you really you. set him up for that. Beside you, I don't think there's anybody else that I could be. No, I couldn't. I, truthfully, <laughs> just standing and having somebody that is a professional athlete fire something at you as a ball. Uh, I remember going out with Josh Bell. We filmed, we did some filming uh, at, uh, at the stadium and um, standing next to them and watching batting practice live, not in the stands, but watching somebody throw a ball at that speed. Uh, if you had to just stand there, forget hitting anything, just stand there with somebody throwing a ball at 80 or 90 miles an hour uh, could I beat anybody? I, I think the object would be how much would you have to pay me to stand up to try? <laughs> so, so the answer is no, I couldn't beat anyone, but, uh, but it's sure fun uh, playing the game with rubber balls rather than uh, the real thing. <laughs> so in 2014, I you kind of stepped out of law and you're in right now i'm i'm really i'm semi when i say uh, i don't uh, i had many i had partners and uh when i got to a certain age and stage i made a determination that um i would sell the business to my partners and it's a it was an agreement over a period of years i still am filming commercials and i still have an involvement with the law firm i sit in on their executive board and uh, I don't make any decisions, but I think because I uh, have been a lawyer for 55, yeah, 55 years, I think they're using my experience plus having been the owner of the business. So I'm not retired in the sense that I don't have any connection or do anything. But as far as handling cases, doing anything, I have no involvement at all. I am, I would say uh, semi-retired would be a, a, a better word, but I'm not actively involved in, in practicing law today. All right. So uh, in that semi-retirement, what does the average day look for you like now? Well, right now I'm sitting in Florida and when I'm done here, I'll probably go out and take a bike ride and then I'll probably play golf a little later this afternoon. Uh, life's good. Uh, <laughs> I spend the winter. Uh, I have the chance to spend the winter in Florida. And of course, uh, any connection today, as you know, because of COVID, everybody's basically virtual. So any connection that I have with the office or anything that I have to do, I'm no different than anyone else because there's nobody still at the, uh, the offices of Edgar Snyder. Everything is virtual, uh, just like we're doing here. And, uh, but what, what, a day, what a day looks like for me is um, I've always been athletic. I didn't say I'm an athlete. There's a difference. Okay. <laughs> I, <laughs> all right. I like to play golf. I didn't say I'm good. Uh, I like to swim. I, I'm, I've been a swimmer for many, many years, and I like to swim laps. I do a lot of stuff athletically. Uh, for, I'm still involved in charitable work. I'm still involved in doing work for uh, charities that I've been involved in locally uh, in the community. And uh, I have a uh, family. I have uh, three children and grandchildren. And I spend uh, time when I'm in Pittsburgh with them. And, uh, you know, I lead a active life, uh, I would say. 
Yes, Florida sounds really good right now in winter in Pittsburgh. It sure that's does. For sure. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that it does. I, I don't. <laughs> I, I didn't do this. I didn't do this on the beach because I thought it would be unseemly to have you be doing a, uh, a podcast with somebody that was sitting on the beach and uh, you know. So I'm sitting in. I'm sitting yeah, in. I'm sitting in. An, I'm sitting in an office. I did this uh, out of. Uh, uh, consideration for you guys. Uh, we, we appreciate it. One thing, as I mentioned in the introduction, um, you know, you're known for the point. And I have to ask, I'd be remiss if I didn't. How did that start? Did you do it once and it stuck? Or did you say, hey, guys, I'm going to point at the end of this commercial? You got it. You, you, what you said, Nick, it's absolutely true. I started, um, uh, I'm Jewish. Jewish people and Italian people talk with their hands. When I did started doing commercials, I started talking and I pointed and I did like this. And somebody at the time said to me, you know, I think it's very effective. You look like you're pointing to the person. looks like you're speaking to the person behind in the camera when you're looking at it into the audience. And uh, after that, we started playing around with it. Uh, we came up with a saying, but it was purely uh, luck. It was uh, serendipity. Uh, I'd like to say that I was a marketing genius and I knew that I could, uh, in fact, I've told people and people really think that I'm telling the truth, which I'm not, but I said, uh, it's the only uh, body part that I have that's insured with Lloyd's of London is my finger. So don't mess with it because if I lose my finger, I could become very rich. I'll come back in with a rebound question. I'm, I got to save it. <laughs> I feel like uh, during the earlier parts of uh, Joe Biden's campaign, he, he really tried to address the audience doing sort of points like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I got a little bit aggravated at Joe, but since I don't know him, I couldn't say anything. Plus, uh, I'm sure that uh, I, ha I don't have a, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't have a right to copyright my finger. People, people, <laughs> point, people point all the time, but I, I, it's, I find it disturbing because I know they're copying me. You sort of answered the question before I even got to ask. <laughs> I, you know what, ESP, I know what's coming next. So uh, go all, ahead. All, all, all political agendas aside, I thought you looked much more confident in your point than he did. Uh, you're probably right. Uh, <laughs> although it looks like his confidence, without being political, it looks like his confidence was well-placed. So uh, uh, that being said, uh, I, I think that I do a better pointing job than he does. <laughs> I'll have another uh, lighthearted question here. Sure. Uh, growing up in Pittsburgh all this time, uh, what's your favorite part of Pittsburgh? It closed. The O. Mm. That's what the original, the original hot dog stand in, in Oakland. That, uh, that was one of my favorite things uh, was uh, going to the O. Uh, anybody that lives in Pittsburgh could relate to that. They, it makes me, uh, you know, it says that the Yins are good people. And that, uh, but, but truthfully, uh, growing up in Pittsburgh, uh, I, I, I love the people. I, I, I just, I'm a people person and growing up in this city, uh, I've had a lot of fun. Uh, I've had the most fun truthfully being a Pittsburgher. Once I started doing the commercials, uh, everything has been lighthearted. I've been totally accepted by people as a personality. Uh, there's been no um, rancor, nothing bad. The only time I ever had any problem being a lawyer in advertising was with other lawyers. Uh, in the beginning, it was very difficult. They were very hard on me because there was no such thing as lawyer advertising. But Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh is a is an ethnic city. It's a great city. Uh, I just love going all over. One of my favorite things to do in Pittsburgh is is to bike ride. I like to bike ride in neighborhoods and things of that nature. And uh, I just think the uh, the people, 
uh, obviously growing up in the 70s here, uh, the Steelers uh, have always been, uh, you know, and probably if you ask me what is rem remarkable and memorable thing, I think anytime you go anywhere in the United States and you say where you're from, the first thing they talk about is the Steelers. Okay, whether they're, they don't have to be Steeler fans, but we, we are, we are Pittsburgh Steeler city. And uh, I think that that sticks. And I really have uh, enjoyed the Pittsburgh sports teams all of these years. Uh, it, it's been a favorite part of the city. No, I know it'll be a rough estimate, but how many people have come up to you and said, can you do the point? I would tell you in Pittsburgh that there's not a day goes by. <laughs> I also, no, I'm, I'm very serious. I, I also, um, I spend a lot of time giving autographed pictures at my law firm and sending them out. Uh, uh, I'm always wondering if it has anything to do at all with being a lawyer. Probably not. Uh, it has to do with being um, a celebrity is anyone doesn't mean that you've done anything necessarily to earn it. I used to say uh, in the beginning, give me $20 million and go on television every day and you too can be famous pointing your finger. It had, it, it had more to do with being one of the first people to advertise. Being in, if you grew up in the Pittsburgh area, I was on your television set from the time you were old enough to look at a television pointing my finger. Uh, there had been a time where I was a favorite Halloween costume. People were dressing up doing trick-or-treating as Edgar Snyder. I, I mean, it's been nothing, but it's been really a lot of fun. The business end of it has obviously been terrific too, but uh, it is just, uh, it, it's, it's something that I have learned to um, accept, to enjoy. And I don't know whether it's notoriety. I've been in places all over the world in fine Pittsburgh people from Western Pennsylvania. And uh, I, I remember, I'll give you a little side story you'll laugh at. I was in um, Alaska and maybe, I think it was, I was in either Alaska or some deep wilds of, um, uh, of, of Canada. I'm not sure which one. And I was take, we were hiking and I was in a remote area. I mean, like I didn't see people for an hour and I saw a guy come up and he had a big, looked like a uh, two and a half foot fish and he had it on a hook. And I said, wow, looks like you've been busy doing this stuff. And the guy comes up and he looks at me and he says to me, no fee unless we get money for you. And I said, this is this is not possible i'm like hours and hours from any i'm so remote he says i'd know you anywhere from from altoona pennsylvania <laughs> and we struck up it's that type of situation and uh it's been uh, it's been a great ride been a lot of fun yeah i feel like pittsburgh's that perfect size of city where you have like these kind of celebrities like even our news anchors around here are basically oh yeah yeah like, oh hey i know you but then as soon as you step out of the city, you realize, oh, everyone from Pittsburgh who's ever been from Pittsburgh will know these people. It's exactly right. <clears throat> and I think I fit into that category. It's been a great ride. It's been a, it's been a lot of fun. And one of the things as I get older at this, this age and stage, because I've had so many generations of people watching on television that 
I can get people that it will come up with their kids, come up with their grandchildren themselves. And everybody has a story uh, of, of, of this. I used to have people that uh, people would tell me all of the time that their children, uh, they, they loved, they wanted to be Edgar Snyder. And I said, yeah, everybody wants to be Edgar Snyder until they're old enough. And then they hire other lawyers. I said, my job is to try to figure out how to hold on to them after they're 18 years old. Before that, they're addicted to television. So, uh, uh, but it, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, really has. And, and now that we've reflected on the wonders of Pittsburgh, I'm from Erie. So I have to ask, do you have any good Erie stories from your career? Yes. I have a great story from Erie. Uh, when I first started in the 80s in Erie, Pennsylvania, uh, I was a pariah. Erie is a very, very uh, closed town. And what I mean by closed is they take great pride in everything Erie. And I wasn't from Erie. And even though I had an office from Erie, I was a carpetbagger. They knew that I didn't grow up in Erie. And it took a while to become accepted as someone who was doing business uh, in, in Erie. And um, I knew that things were being accepted. I was invited. The Erie used to have a symphony on Christmas. You're probably too young to know this, but they used to have the Erie Symphony used to play concerts. And they had a mystery conductor for the Erie Symphony way back in the time. And they asked me to be the mystery conductor on Christmas for the Erie Symphony. I accepted, and being from Erie, you'll understand why I never was able to do it. You got two and a half feet of snow, and there was no way, there was no snow in Pittsburgh, but it was about 25 inches on the ground. I couldn't get there to do my gig with the symphony, but that was an eerie story that had I done that, that would have been one of my most favorite things of all time would have been to uh, be the mystery conductor for the, uh, the symphony in Erie at Christmas. Right. And the way you started that, I thought you were setting up for they were going to boo you when you were revealed as the mystery guy. <clears throat> I, I'm sure that I would have been booed. I, <laughs> I, was, I was ready for that. But uh, now Erie, is a, uh, uh, Erie is, a, uh, is a wonderful place. And uh, uh, it really is. I'm sure that it was nice to grow up there. It, it was with your commercials as well. Well, we, we hope, and uh, that's, that's why we hope that you've probably gotten out of Erie and come to Pittsburgh now, because <laughs> you want to be closer to my commercials. Uh, <laughs> so, where, so let me ask you guys a question. Where, 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 how do you, where do you play this podcast? Who watches this beside the three of you? Wow. <laughs> Our moms. No. <laughs> you know what? You know what? That's good. And uh, I'm sure that, that they're loyal watchers. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. My pleasure. Thank and, you. Uh, enjoyed it. Uh, what year are you guys? Uh, me and Garrett are seniors and John's a junior. Yeah, any chance that you guys are going to graduate? Uh, it's looking pretty good, believe it or not. Okay, because I'm surprised. Yeah, you know what? So is my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Have fun, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. Right, and we're back. So uh, we just want to take one last time to say thank you to Edgar again. 
And, you know, we hope you enjoyed your time on the show, and we hope you enjoyed listening if you're new and maybe just here for Edgar Snyder. Uh, but with that, you know, Edgar sort of talked about a few athletes in the Pittsburgh area, so I wanted to highlight one more sports news topic that just came out as of yesterday, really. Uh, recently, Governor Tom Wolf reopened the state, and that has led to certain venues in the Pittsburgh area, sports venues, allowing more people into their games. Right now, it's prime hockey season, so the Penguins naturally did so. On social media, they posted a graphic of a few people uh, at the game, enjoying the game, and from the Penguin social media account, all of those people were masked properly, and they were all in, you know, socially distanced, and it was sort of like a thank you and welcome back post. Nothing inherently wrong with that initial post. Now, naturally, because it's social media and because everyone has very watchful eyes on the internet, uh, people noticed, oh, this wasn't the original, what the original picture looked like. So they begun to do some digging, and they found out that the Penguins had actually modified the picture that they posted on their social media. Uh, some of the masks were not being worn properly. Uh -huh. There were certain people that weren't wearing, wearing masks at all that got cropped I out. I was getting married. <laughs> and what this boiled down to was a lot of criticism towards the Penguins' social media team. A lot of people sort of just said, hey, like, this is wrong. Like, it's one thing that people aren't wearing masks at the game. But the fact that you sort of tricked your fan base is a completely different thing. And I think that this is an interesting topic because we're all communications people. We all understand the aspects of PR and the aspects of running a social media team. And I think that this would be a tough situation if I'm a social media employee. I'm new to the organization. And the Penguins do say in a statement that this violates their social media um, regulations and their handbook. Uh, but I understand the intentions behind it. Was the modification of the picture wrong? Yes, absolutely. You don't want to deceive your fan base in any way. Uh, in that same token, when you're running a PR job or a social media job, you want to make the organization that you're working for look good. And I get it. A lot of the masks were just down below some noses, right? So it feels like a very minor edit. You're just popping it up above the nose doesn't feel like there's a whole lot of harm there and maybe you guys disagree so i'd love to hear what you think i think of a lot of things when i see this situation the first one that immediately comes to mind is do they have no picture of everyone wearing masks that they could have just not photoshopped now i know the goal was like oh here's a big group of fans you know as big a group you can get as big of a group as they could have there's a lot of people in that picture given how many people were in the arena but would they i to me it's very it was dumb because why not just get a picture of, you know, a family there and all four of them have their masks on? It doesn't matter if you have a hundred of the 2,000 whatever that were at that game or four people out of the 2,000 whatever were at that game. As long as you have the message that they put on, because it was a graphic. I think Coach Sullivan, uh, the graphic was quoted with. Uh, it had his some quote he gave after the game about fans, and then that was like overlaid onto the picture. As long as it had fans in the stands from that night's game and it said the thank you message, I don't see what the harm would have been, regardless of the number of people. Um, I get what they were doing in photoshopping them on to make sure it looked like everyone was following the rules. Uh, but you have to know, at this point, you you know, if you do anything a little a little risque, I don't know if that was the right word. But if you do, if you do anything remotely controversial on social media, people are going to look. You know, 
And, uh, you know, people found out pretty quick that there were uh, there were some altering in the picture. I yep. mean, it, it wasn't a good Photoshop, speaking of somebody who works in Well, Photoshop. the one lady had two straps around her ears. Yeah, well, <laughs> maybe she was double masking, like the uh, CDC says. Um, I I mean, I expected this from Philly fans. There's your uh, <laughs> Yinzer, uh, Yinzer input. But uh, I just actually saw an interesting tweet from uh, Josh Yeo. Uh, he said that Josh Yowie, Yowie, is that how you say his name? The yeah. Penguins reporter, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, sorry. Uh, if you that, are new, to, if you're new to where's the news, I'm not the sports guy. <laughs> uh, but he said that ushers and securities and security ejected 17 fans from the Penguins Flyers game for not wearing masks, and all of them were drinking. That's interesting too, and he raises a good point because I saw that tweet earlier. He says maybe you know now's not the time to sell alcohol at these games, especially when you're trying to enforce a strict health. Uh, you know, policy at these games. I and mean, you can't go to a restaurant and buy alcohol without buying a meal, so why would you be able to go to a Penguins game and do the same thing? Right. And that uh, Because you're at a restaurant, <laughs> for one, and you're at a sporting event for the other would be a pretty solid response to that question. Yeah, but their logic behind that is you're not sitting down at a bar, you're not sitting next to people drinking, like getting your germs all over each other. Like, you can't go down and sit – at Patrick's Pub and just go, you know what, I want to give me a Jack and Coke. I want the Jack and Coke. They're like, All right, well, you got you got to get some food with that. That doesn't stop, like, half the people that go to RMU, like, from going to any bar and going, yeah, um, can I get a side of fries and then three Vegas bombs? But And all this sort of leads me to my next point, which is the fact that obviously the Penguins have some responsibility to, you look like you disagree with Garrett. Do you want to interject? I mean, I, I don't get the point he's trying to make, but I don't want to get in a slugfest with Garrett here. <laughs> I think there's a vast difference between having to go to a restaurant, order food with your drink, and going to a sporting event and just getting a beer for the hell of having a beer while you're watching a game. I, I mean, it, the logic behind what I'm thinking is you can't go and buy a drink at a bar, so why should you be able to buy one at the game? What bars have you been to? You can't go and just buy alcohol, Mike. That's a state mandate. Is it? Yeah. I don't know if it is anymore, but at one point it definitely was. And, I mean, whenever you're in an arena kind of never watch Norm, cheer, uh, Norm from Cheers then. That's all <laughs> they do. He never eats. <laughs> yes, I see both your points. Honestly, I do. Uh, I'm going to be the, the moder like great, the, the moderate great. I mean, I don't know the state <laughs> rules, and I can't drink because you, know you all know I can't drink, but – uh, but anyway, like I said, I, I want to move on from this before we take up too much time because we did have that Edgar interview sort of as our sports segment today. But uh, the Penguins. The sports segment? Yeah. Him talking about his long career in baseball or something? Yeah. Um, Interesting. But, <laughs> anyways, the Penguins, I feel, have some responsibility to make sure that the people uh, at the, the game are wearing their masks and following the policies to the Penguins' standards. Obviously, you know, like it's – if you're eating food, you know, they're probably selling food there. I don't know. Um, you're going to pull your mask down at different points. And if you're, like, in a crowd and you're off on your own in a chair, as some people in that picture were, the one lady who had her mask down, there was really no one around here, around her. So it feels very nitpicky. But if you're the Penguins and you're setting a policy that you want people to abide by and you know that something like this could happen, it's up to you to make sure that those people are following them the way that you want them to as an organization and they released a statement not long after this happened that read while perhaps well-intended our staffers should not have altered a wide crowd photo to adjust masks on faces 
of even a few fans who are not strictly following the rules. Our social media team should never send out altered photos to our fan base. This is a violation of our social media and safety policy, and this staffer has been disciplined. They got out the ruler and, like, slapped him across his knuckles like a Catholic school. And personally, for me, I felt like this was the wrong move to make because the Penguins really didn't take any responsibility as an organization when there was more than one person in the wrong here. Instead, they sort of threw that one staffer under the bus. Yes, what that staffer did was wrong, as I mentioned. But at the same time, that staffer never would have had to do that had the organization as a whole been enforcing what they're saying they're going to enforce. So I really think this was the wrong move. I thought it was kind of tacky to throw that one staffer under the bus. And, you know, as someone who could end up in a position you know, that this staffer was in one day, uh, it kind of discourages me from wanting to work for the Penguins, you know, at least on a social media team, knowing that, hey, in an instance like this, they're not going to back me. They're going to throw me under the bus. And I'm just trying to do what's best for the organization, in my opinion. Well, to play devil's advocate for, like, a final parting word, there's no, there's nothing saying the Penguins have to share unaltered photos. They're not a journalism business. They are sports entertainment. And as a result, they don't have to show the truth. They could do whatever they want. They didn't have to apologize. You know, people can be angry about it and go, uh, yeah, you're clearly showing people not wearing a mask. You're trying to cover it up. At which point the journalist can come in and go, yo, why weren't you doing this? But there's nothing saying they couldn't alter the photo to play the, like, extreme devil's advocate. Like, I, I'm sitting in the devil's, like, uh, on his armchair going, like, yeah, I mean, you could kind of see my point, right? Nick, anything else you'd like to add? Well, first of all, Garrett was the only person that would think of it in that light, so I appreciated that perspective. That was not meant to be an insult. Um, I just think, though, as like things open, we're going to hear more and more of this. I don't think anyone's going to Photoshop masks on now. I can, t- I can promise you that won't be a thing that happens again. But there's going to be people that aren't wearing masks at certain points, and there's going to be people that call penguin, you know, teams out for it if it's ever captured in pictures, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but I think it's just something that we're going to see more of just as events open and allow more people, uh, and the enforcement of it's important, uh, if these teams want it to be important, apparently. So, all right, with that, I, I think we're going to continue with the, uh, out of order. Where's the news and you want to move on to news? Great. All right, so moving on uh, to to news. I don't have to read an article for this because uh, the the boys have a general gist of what's going on here. As I mentioned earlier, states are beginning to reopen, and with three vaccines, Johnson & Johnson just getting confirmed this week, their shot being one and done rather than the uh, the two shots, things are getting a little interesting in the United States. Pennsylvania beginning to reopen. You're seeing uh, capacities being raised for indoors and outdoor venues, and a lot of, you know, sort of step stepping back in terms of COVID-19 regulations. Now, some states, on the other hand, have felt that, okay, now is the time to completely reopen. Texas being the most noteworthy one at the moment, they've really sort of made it a, a big deal. Um, and Texas is huge. So that's a lot of people now who are going to be seeing less and less COVID-19 regulations. And uh, th- them being the most no- noteworthy one simply because of the size, their mentality is we're done with masks. We're not doing that anymore. 
we're done with regulations. We're not doing regulations anymore. Basically, the state is going to be as it was before the pandemic. Now, on one hand, this is really nice to see because I'm, you know, I don't want to see the world this way anymore. It sucks. It's no, it's no fun to be in COVID land. But in the same token, it also feels like people are starting to jump the gun. Granted, vaccines are out and people are getting vaccinated, but not nearly enough people are getting vaccinated in time. Now, people are saying, I believe Joe Biden came out this week and said that it would be, what, May? By May, everyone would be, would be yeah. vaccinated? But Nick, I mean, you're someone who's, I don't want to say immune compromised, but you, you've, you want to get the vaccine. I fall under 1A in right. the PA uh, law book. Exactly. And, you know, you've talked to me about experiences. You're having a really hard time getting the vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. I went on, uh, they added two more days to the Heinz Field ones. And I waited in a virtual line the first time I think I've ever done that because uh, I didn't know those existed. And uh, I waited for like eight minutes, and then I got there and put in my zip code and stuff, and it said there are no available appointments within uh, 3,000 miles of your zip code. And I said, cool. It's funny because um, it's actually like the same level of difficulty to get a PlayStation 5 right now is the same difficulty <laughs> oh to get a vaccine. God. I mean, I thought of that comparison last night, too. Because I guess the new Xbox is sold out in like three seconds on Walmart's website when they got a new sh shipment in on them. Yeah, uh, like you have to sit in queues for those. I sat in a queue in the PlayStation Direct to get it. Uh, it was funny because I was sitting on that and I was complaining about, you know, I didn't get it. And my mom's like, yeah, I was sitting in the vaccine one and didn't get a vaccine. Two completely different things, but uh, I mean, <sighs> these states opening up. I, I have typed many a tweets and deleted them because I just get kind of peeved about it. Um, peeved. Peeved is the best way to oh put it. Oh my! I wasn't gonna keep it PG. <laughs> uh, we had a very nice guest on earlier. I don't want to use my crass language. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll say it. Texas is just stupid. You, <laughs> hey Patrick. What am I? Stupid? No, I'm Texas. That's all I can think of. Dear What's God. The What's the difference? Like, I mean, you have these cases going down. You have the vaccines. You see that the numbers are going down with everything working. And then what do you do to make it so your economy can be revitalized? You open everything so the numbers can go back up and you can close again. Neither one of you has said the right thing yet. And that's that I was right. And I know it would pain you both immensely to say that. Oh No, no I do remember you, you recall, mentioning this. Yeah, if you recall yeah. in, like, November, yeah, it's I said, the minute Americans hear the word vaccine, it's over. Early spring, COVID's over. We're in March. There's three vaccines. Like, 70 million are vaccinated. Everything's trending in the right direction. But what happens? They open Texas, Texas up. And I get it. I get that everything's going in the right direction. Like, you know what? You know what? Here we go. It's time. It's time. And if you look at it, though, there's a lot of people that think it's like the right move, too. And, you know, if you're still afraid, stay home, blah, 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 let the rest of us live our lives. And, like, I get that mentality because we're all sick of it. But mm -hmm. at the same time, it's like the same people that go, if you're afraid, stay home, or the same people that are like, you should love your neighbor here in America. You know, do what you do, you know, be a good neighbor, be a good person. And then you're like, I don't give a damn if I give them COVID. Um, you know, it's like the same thing. Those are the same people. I want to acknowledge, by the way. Neither of you laughed, and that was hilarious because you know it's absolutely <laughs> right. Well, I feel like people don't also realize after a year 
the people who are like, oh, my independent freedom, my they're not thinking about the other people. It's If any of us, well, maybe not Nick, if Mir John got COVID and we were fine, the risk would be you getting it from us. Correct. So that's why I'm like, oh, we got to be careful. If you get sick, don't get near Nick because he'll just die. We don't know that. Uh, we, I just imagine uh, you would just kind of like despawn like a Minecraft creature whenever you kill it. Like, <laughs> you, you, oh my God. you would get COVID and you'd go, and then just fall. Man. With this being said, I, I got to say, Texas, weren't you having a hard enough time? Like, they were freezing out I just think, a couple weeks ago. I think the governor's just trying to kill the state, in all honesty. Seriously, like, no one helped them when they were frozen. And I feel bad for the people of Texas for this because, like, they had a really hard time. Power was out. My, my, my we couldn't help them, granted. Uh, if you if you look at how it worked with the way that the power grids were set up, nobody could help them because they're like, we don't want help. So, like, the organizations that moved in to help were, like, humanitarian stuff. The government, like, wasn't sending any money because they're like, well, it's not our grid. Like, you specifically said you don't want our help on this. We can't support it. My best friend Ian lives down in Texas. He's, he's with the Air Force down there. And – he was out, w- was without power. He doesn't live on a base, by the way. I-, I don't think our military bases were without power. But he lives in an apartment, and he was without power for probably a week at least. And again, they were slammed with snow. Like it was cold down there. It was terrible. Uh, so, like, I feel bad for Texas on one hand, and now you just have this on top of it. Like, you got to give the state some time to recover. My God. Mm-hmm. And now they're like, oh well, you're cold. Now you're sick. Uh- Pretty soon, Texas is not going to exist anymore. Texas is just going to, what, fade away, float away? No, the states around it are going to start going like, and like eat it up, and we're going to make Puerto Rico the new 50th state. (laughs) I wish the listeners at home could see Nick's face. Well, they're trying to make D.C. a state first. Look, here's my philosophy. Let's not add any more states. 50 is such a nice, even number. It is. And, like, the flag looks good. Can you imagine what that flag would look like with, like, 51, 52? It's going to look butt ugly. We, we have a good-looking flag. <laughs> oh, God, that, that was really American. <laughs> we did. It, 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 you know what? I'll say it. I, you know, everyone likes to crap on America. But I, it, as the people that stay true to the principles that America thinks are, you know, implemented in American culture, I love, you know, I love it. Yeah. Please stop. <laughs> I will pay you hey, to stop. Yakko from that. the Animaniacs. Why don't you tone it down over there with the but, reading you know, of territories? DC as a state would just be so weird to me. I mean, it would be so incredibly weird. It, that would be making a city a state. Yeah, plus, what are they going to do? But there would be more people in it than like three actual states, I think. And what are they going to do with that line in the Capitol building that separates Maryland and what's the other state? Virginia? Yeah, Maryland and Virginia. They have a big. Right? They, I think Garrett, you were singing all the states. Are we right? Maryland and Virginia, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, because George Washington. Everyone state was that's listened this far, that's never listened before, is like, my God, are they dumb? <laughs> no, but like, sorry, Edgar. <laughs> um, but yeah, like they have this line in the Capitol building that it's like, oh, you can stand over top of it, and you're in two states at once. I think it's the Capitol building. I'm pretty sure it's been years since I've Do been. Do you ever DC. get really stoked when you're in a car trip and half the cars, and you get yeah. to the sign, and like half the yeah. cars behind it, and half the cars That's in the I'm other saying. state? If you make DC a state, so you have to like scrape up that line, and then the Capitol building suddenly isn't as fun. 
I I wholeheartedly believe. No, I don't wholeheartedly believe this, but I'm going to make the bit. Maybe the people that raided the Capitol building on January 6th just wanted to stand on that line. You know what I mean? They wanted to be in two states at once. I'm so sick. They they were too busy pushing the line of what was acceptable (laughs) for humans and the for citizens to do without being arrested immediately. I'm so sick of just everything. Biden, Trump, I'm I'm over all of it, man. I know. I don't. That's why you you guys always wonder, like, why does John talk about dinosaurs on Where's the News and whatever? Like, that's why. (laughs) Okay, here, you know, I didn't like Trump, and I don't like Biden. Yeah. And yeah, I'm like an independent, and you can go whatever you want to. I am a radical independent. Whatever you want to call, whatever you want to call me, you can call me spineless. That's fine, but I have a nice spine. What actually. if I call you late I for dinner? I don't have scully. Don't call me that either. <laughs> but I, I think it's going to be weird going forward with all these politicians that make promises and then don't keep them. That's been politicians gig I'm aware for years, of that. though. That's been it since the beginning. Right. But now there's so much public record of these politicians saying all this stuff, and nothing, nothing's happened. There's still no stimmy. Where's the stimmy? <laughs> Please don't refer to it as a Joe stimmy Biden was anymore. like, "Oh, we're gonna get on all this money," and then there's no stimmy. Bro, where, where's the stimmy? And Trump was like, "If you reelect me, you're gonna get another two thousand dollars." Well, that wouldn't have happened either. And right? I was like, "What the hell is this? The Price is Right." Dude, where's the stim shot? You should have that in your loadout. It'll help you recover uh, after a bad firefight. Look, all I'm saying is if we're the three who come up with the solution to politicians uh, delivering on the promises that they, they don't deliver on, we're going to make a ton of money. I don't, I don't think we're going to I don't think do anyone who listened to this thought those guys can <laughs> make, a, make lot a lot of money, of money. Day, giving their opinion. <laughs> I'm gonna, I can't wait to land a job where somehow I'm going to be making like $4 an hour. <laughs> that was real depressing. <laughs> Is that all we've got for this week's episode, boys? Yeah, I think that's all we got for this week's episode. Thank you again to Edgar, and thank you for listening, especially if you're new and here for the interview. Uh, if you stuck around this long, man, we really appreciate you, and we hope you stick around for more. And we'll see you on the next episode of Where's the News? That was... That was <laughs>